You might not realise it, but what you're doing right now, listening to the radio or a podcast, let's not split hairs, is kind of sort of a little bit like space research. I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Occam's Razor, a soapbox for science. And yes, that is right, you're basically a space researcher right now, with a few tiny caveats, which today's speaker is here to explain. It's radio astronomer Laura Dreesen. Radio is not sound. And I know this because I'm an astronomer. Now, this probably sounds a little bit strange for a couple of reasons. One might be because you might be listening to this talk on a radio right now. But also because astronomers don't tend to listen to space unless you're Jodie Foster in contact, we're typically looking at space, not listening to space. This is an example of one of those times when scientists use words in a different way to the way that you and I use them in everyday language. Another example is black holes. A black hole is not a hole. I know this because I'm an astronomer, but also because I Googled the definition of a hole. I Googled it really carefully. The definition of a hole is a hollow place in a solid body or surface. A black hole, on the other hand, is when you take a whole heap of stuff and squish it down as small as possible. And then you keep squishing. For example, if the sun, which has a radius of around 700,000 kilometers, turned into a black hole right now, it would be squished right down until the radius of the event horizon, or the edge of the black hole, was only three kilometres. That's the same as a high school cross-country race. It would still weigh the same, but its physical size would be much smaller than it is now. Now, that doesn't sound like a hollow place in a solid body or surface. It sounds like a whole lot of stuff squished down into a small space. But that means that when we astronomers use the word black hole, you think of a hole. And then you think of something that you can go into, or maybe even through. But a black hole is not something you can go through. You can't go through a whole lot of stuff. That would be like saying you can go through a tennis ball. And I would also highly recommend not going into a black hole. So us scientists tend to use words in a bit of a weird way. Like Inigo Montoya in A Princess Bride would say, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Radio is another example of this. If you Google the word radio, a radio is the activity or industry of broadcasting sound programs to the public. And a radio is an apparatus for receiving radio programs. But if you're driving in your car and turn on the radio to listen to ABC Radio National, I hope, then your car isn't plugged into anything. So how do your speakers know exactly what to play? Well, what actually happens is that ABC radio sends out a signal in the form of radio light. Then the antenna on your car picks up that radio light and converts it into an electrical signal that is then translated by your car radio into the movement of your speakers, which create the pressure waves that you can then hear as sound. So radio is not sound. Radio is a type of light. Radio is actually the lowest frequency of light or the longest wavelength of light. 
The light that we can see with our eyes is called optical or visible light. The lowest frequency of light that we can see is red, and the highest frequency is blue into violet. If we go up in frequency from optical light, from blue to violet, then we go up to ultraviolet, X-rays, and gamma rays. If we go the other way, instead of going up to blue, we go down to red. We then have infrared, microwaves, and radio. Radio light has lots of advantages, particularly for communication. Because it's the lowest frequency of light, it goes through and around everything. Let's use sound as a bit of an analogy. This is why you can hear your neighbor's bass next door, even when you can't hear the exact words or tune of the song that they're playing. Because the lowest frequency, lower pitch sound waves are much better at getting around and through things than the higher pitch sound waves. And that same principle applies to light. So if you want to communicate over long distances or even in between different rooms or past closed doors, radio light is a good choice. And that's why when your phone connects to the Wi-Fi, it's connecting through radio waves of light. When you connect to your headphones or your watch via Bluetooth, that's radio waves. When you make a phone call, radio waves. And when you turn on your radio, also radio waves of light. And even when NASA or the European Space Agency communicate with their satellites and space missions, they're using radio light. It's the same way that we connect to GPS satellites for directions. It's all radio light. A recent example is Voyager 2, which is a space probe that was launched in 1977, along with its twin Voyager 1, and is traveling directly away from Earth. Voyager 1 is now the furthest away man-made thing from Earth, leaving our solar system and entering interstellar space in 2012. Voyager 2 followed suit in 2018. But a few weeks ago, someone accidentally told Voyager 2 to look away from us, and that meant that we couldn't communicate with it. But right here in Australia, we have the Canberra Deep Space Communications Complex, where they have a nice big radio dish, 70 metres in diameter. And they used that to receive a ping from Voyager 2, so we knew it was still there and still going. Then they used that same facility to send out some radio waves in the direction of the space probe to successfully re-establish communications, again, using radio light. And you might have heard of the Parkes Radio Telescope, also called Muriang, or the Honeysuckle Creek Facility. Both the Parkes and Honeysuckle Creek facilities were particularly important in the space race because they tracked the Apollo 11 mission and received the radio light from the moon lander so that we could transmit the signal to everyone's television so everyone in the world could watch Neil Armstrong take that first step on the moon. Radio light was first used for communications in 1895 when Morse code signal was sent one kilometre using radio light. So that's about 130 years ago, but that signal was probably really faint. So let's say that radio became a bit of a thing on Earth about 100 years ago. That means that the first radio light used for communications here on Earth has now had time to travel 100 light years. If you were further than 100 light years from Earth and you looked back at Earth, all you could see is a cold, dark rock. But if you were less than 100 light years away from Earth and you had a nice big radio telescope, you might just be able to see a little glimmer of radio light coming from Earth. 
And if you could translate that light into sound using the same sort of radio device that we might have here on Earth, you would be able to translate that radio light into sound and hear whatever we were listening to on the radio 100 years ago. And communications is why we have radio astronomy. In 1932, Carl G. Jansky was a telecommunications engineer. And he noticed that on all of their radios, they were hearing fuzzy static, even when no one was speaking. And no matter what they did to tune things, they still heard that fuzzy static. Carl noticed that the static changed over the day. It moved over the day. And what he actually did was link that static to the Milky Way moving across the sky. And that was the birth of radio astronomy. That was the first time we ever connected radio waves of light to space. Before that moment, we didn't know that anything in space transmitted a radio signal. And Australia got into the game really early. We established a radio physics lab soon after World War II ended, and that radio physics lab was the largest in the world at the time. Now we're still a world leader in radio astronomy. When your radio telescope can pick up a mobile phone on Mars, it's better to build it where there are more kangaroos than people which is why radio telescopes tend to be a little bit away from our main cities. We had the fabulous Parkes Telescope, the Australian Telescope Compact Array, and MOPRA, all in New South Wales. We had the Australian SKA Pathfinder and the Murchison Widefield Array in Western Australia. And we're even building the Square Kilometre Array, or the SKA, the biggest radio telescope in the world in Western Australia. And when we look at space with radio waves, when we take those telescopes and we collect the light that's coming from the universe, we see black holes, we see galaxies, we see what's left after a star explodes, and we see stars that are exploding. We get to see the stars that are flaring just like our sun, but much bigger, and we can see the magnetic fields that pervade everything throughout the universe. So next time you turn on your radio, Remember that the same kind of signal that's being used so that you can listen to your favorite presenter is the same kind of light that is used to unlock the mysteries of the universe. Thank you. That was Dr. Laura Dreesen, radio astronomer, science communicator and researcher at the University of Sydney. She was speaking there at our Occam's Razor live event at the Sydney Powerhouse on Gadigal Land. I'm Tegan Taylor, your Occam's Razor host, and I'll be back on the radio with you next week.